Gathering Gains Prophecy Times podcast for another week. We are in episode 15 and we're calling this one Why I Believe in a Pre-Trib Rapture. We have uh, we've spent the last 14 weeks together now discussing the rapture of the church, the blessed hope of the believer. And this is our final week on this topic, at least for now. Uh, and I've been building a case over the last few months one line of argument after another why I believe the Bible teaches the imminent pre-tribulational rapture of the church. And today I'm going to give you a summary, 40 reasons in fact, why I believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. And there's so many more, but I'm going to give you 40. Uh, Now I've sourced these reasons from the Word of God, but I'm also referencing uh, a few guys, John Wolverd, Ed Heinsen, and Mark Hitchcock as, as I take you on this journey. So buckle up, here we go. Number one, number one reason why I believe in the pre-tribulational rapture of the church. The apostles and the early church believed in the imminency of the Lord's return, which only the pre-tribulational accounts for. Number two, pre-trib is the only view which allows a literal interpretation of all Old and New Testament passages on the Great Tribulation period. Number three, only pre-trib distinguishes between, uh, or should I say clearly between, Israel and the church and their respective programs that God has for them, past, present, and future. Number four, pre-trib maintains the scriptural distinction between the Great Tribulation, future prophetic period of time, and general tribulations for all believers that are present during the church age. Number five, the Great Tribulation is properly understood by pre-tribs as a time of preparation for Israel's restoration. Check out Deuteronomy 4, 29 through 30, Jeremiah 30, 4 through 11, so many other places. It is not the purpose of the tribulation to prepare the church for glory, but rather Israel for restoration. Number six. None of the Old Testament passages on the Great Tribulation ever mention the rapture. Daniel 9, 24 through 27, it's entirely Israel-centric. Jeremiah 30, 4 through 11, same again, so many more. Uh, None of them mention the church. Number seven, in contrast to the mid-trib rapture of the church, or that view, the pre-trib view provides an adequate explanation for the beginning of the Great Tribulation Uh, described in Revelation 6. Mid-trib is refuted by the plain teaching of Scripture that the Great Tribulation begins long before the seventh trumpet of Revelation 11, which is what mid-tribs believe. Number eight, the proper distinction is maintained between the prophetic trumpets of Scripture by pre-tribbers. There is no scriptural basis for the mid-trib argument that the seventh trumpet in Revelation is the same as the last trumpet of 1 Corinthians 15, 52 and the trumpet of Matthew 24, 31. They are three distinct events, not speaking all about the same trumpet. 
Just because it says trumpet doesn't mean it's the same trumpet. Number nine, the unity of Daniel's 70th week, written about in Daniel 9, 24 through 27, uh, is maintained by pre-trib. By contrast, mid-trib destroys the unity of Daniel's 70th week and confuses Israel's program with that of the church. Number 10, the translation of the church is never mentioned in any passage dealing with the return of Christ after the Great Tribulation. It's never mentioned. And if, if it were to happen at that time, that is a glaring omission. Number 11, the church is not appointed to wrath. Romans 5, 9, 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 through 10, and 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. The church therefore cannot enter the great day of God's wrath, spoken about in Revelation 6, verse 17. Number 12, the church will not be overtaken by the day of the Lord, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 9, which includes the great tribulation. The day of the Lord includes the great tribulation and 1 Thessalonians 5 says that the church will not be overtaken by it. Number 13, the possibility of a believer escaping the great tribulation is mentioned in Luke Chapter 21, verse 36, by Jesus, when he says this, Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Now, if you think pre-trib rapture view is simply an escapist view, I would have to affirm it absolutely is, and I would argue that Jesus, in fact, affirms the same thing. Don't, don't put yourself through something that you don't need to put yourself through. 14. The church of Philadelphia in Revelation was promised deliverance from the hour of trial, that hour which is to come upon the whole world to try them that dwell upon the earth, Revelation 3.10. And, and if you are to be kept from the hour of trial, as compared to kept from the trial, you cannot enter that period of time. If it had just said that you would be, they would be kept from the trial, uh, you could make the argument that uh, God might supernaturally protect them on the earth through that trial. But it says that uh, they will not be, uh, so, sorry, they will be delivered from the hour of trial, the whole period of time of the trial, which means they cannot physically enter that period of time of trial, which is fascinating and a massive blessing. Number 15, it is characteristic of God's actions throughout all of uh, Scripture to deliver believers before a divine judgment is inflicted upon the world. This is illustrated by the deliverance of Noah, of Lot, of Rahab, and on and on it goes. 2 Peter 2, 6-9. Time and again, God delivers believers before He pours out His wrath. Number 16. At the time of the translation of the church, 
all believers go to the Father's house in heaven and do not remain on the earth, which is what is taught by post-tribbers. John 14.3 is where we get that relocating to heaven. Number 16, the pre-trib view as opposed to post-trib does not confuse general terms like the elect and saints, which apply to the saved of all ages, depending on the context, with specific terms like the church and those who are in Christ, which refer to believers of this age only, that is the church age. Number 18, the pre-trib understanding is the only view which teaches that the coming of Christ is actually and truly imminent, meaning it can happen at any moment, which is what the Bible teaches. Every other view does not teach that truth. Number 19, the exhortation to be comforted by the coming of the Lord, 1 Thessalonians 4.18, is significant only in the pre-trib view and is especially contradicted in post-trib. Post-trib is, hey guys, there's a great tribulation coming where you're going to be beheaded for your faith. There's going to be evil and destruction, the wrath of Satan and man. God is going to pour out his wrath on the earth. And at the end of it, you're going to be saved. So be comforted with these words. That is absolutely ridiculous. How can you be comforted by the knowledge of having to experience and go through those things. Those words are only significant if God's truth is that he will remove the believers prior to that horrific period of time. Number 20, and we're halfway there. Number 20, the exhortation to look for the glorious appearing, Titus 2.13, loses its significance if the tribulation must intervene first. Believers in that case should look for signs. What I mean by this is, if we're to look for the glorious appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, but the tribulation happens first, then believers should be looking for the signs of the tribulation to know when the glorious appearing shall come. Whereas that's not what is told to us in Titus 2.13. It is to look for Christ, not to look for the Antichrist. Number 21, the exhortation to purify ourselves in view of the Lord's return has most significance in his if his coming is imminent. 1 John 3, 2-3. If we know that Jesus is coming in 20 years time, it doesn't matter what we do right now. We can do what we want. But if we know that Jesus could come back at any moment, then there is extreme motivation to purify ourselves and live a life holy and worthy of God because he could return at any moment. And we, don't, we do not want to be ashamed at the time of his coming. Number 22, the church is uniformly, meaning the whole church across the whole generation of the church age, time and time again, is uh, exhorted to look for the coming of the Lord. While believers in the great tribulation period are directed instead to look for signs, which is very different to looking for the coming of the Lord. 23, the Holy Spirit as the restrainer, we're talking 2 Thessalonians 2 here, 
The Holy Spirit as the restrainer of evil cannot be taken out of the world unless the church, which the Spirit indwells in this present age, is translated at the same time. The Great Tribulation cannot begin until this restraint is lifted. And if the Holy Spirit's getting taken out of the way, the Holy Spirit cannot be taken from the believer. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Therefore, if the Holy Spirit's getting taken out of the way, then the believer, the church, must also be taken out of the way before the tribulation begins. Number 24, the Holy Spirit indwelling the church, again, as the restrainer, must be taken out of the world before the lawless one, that is the Antichrist, who dominates the tribulation period, can be revealed. That's verses 6 to 8 of 2 Thessalonians 2. Number 25, according to 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, all believers of this age, that is the church age, must appear before the judgment seat of Christ in heaven. This is an event that is never mentioned in in all the detailed accounts connected with the return of Christ at the end of the tribulation. It's not mentioned at all, this judgment in heaven uh, in connection with the return of Christ at the end of the tribulation. It's a glaring omission if it is to happen at the same time and a logistical challenge also. Number 26, if the 24 elders of Revelation 4 verse 1 through to 5 verse 14, all through that section, if the 24 elders there are representatives of the church, as is the most likely biblical understanding and most biblical expositors uh, will, will tell you that, it would require the rapture and reward of the church occurring before the tribulation period. Number 27, the marriage of Christ and the church must be celebrated in heaven before the return of Christ to the earth. Revelation 19, 7 through 10, attests to that truth. Number 28, I hope you're still with me. I know we're going through them very quickly. Uh, the intent is to give you a very um, broad picture snapshot of all the biblical reasons why. Time and again, the Bible teaches pre-trib rapture. Number 28, tribulation saints are not translated at the return of Christ to the earth, but will carry on ordinary occupations such as farming and building houses, and they will also bear children. Isaiah 65, 20 through 25 talks to this. This would be impossible if all saints were translated at the return of Christ to the earth as post-tribbers teach. Number 29, the judgment of the Gentiles following the return of Christ to earth. That's Matthew 25, 31 through 46. That judgment of the Gentiles indicates that both saved and unsaved are still in their natural bodies, which would be impossible if the translation had taken place at the return. Number 30, connected to this, if the translation took place in connection with the return of Christ to the earth, there would be no need to separate the sheep from the goats at a subsequent judgment but the, uh, because the separation would have already taken place in the very act of translation at the time of the return. 
If the translation happened at the time of the return, there's no need to separate sheep from goats because there is no sheep. They've already been separated. There's no separation required because it was already done. Uh, so it makes that judgment null and void. Number 31, we're getting close. At the time of the rapture, the saints meet Christ in the air while at the return, Christ sets his feet on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem to meet the saints on the earth. Completely different uh, meeting points and destinations. Number 32. At the time of the rapture, the Mount of Olives, just east of Jerusalem, is unchanged. While at the return, it divides and a valley is formed to the east of Jerusalem. Zechariah 14, 4 through 5 speaks to this. Number 33. At the rapture, living saints are translated. While no saints are translated in connection with the return of Christ to the earth different time. Number 34, at the rapture, the saints go to heaven, while at the return, the saints remain on the earth without translation. At the time of the rapture, the world is unjudged and continues in sin, whereas at the return, the world is judged and righteousness is set up on the earth as Jesus ushers in the millennial kingdom. Number 36, we're so close. The rapture is described as imminent while the return is preceded by definite signs. Something cannot be both imminent, meaning happening at any moment, and at the same time has to require signs that happen first, which is what mid-trib and post-trib uh, all attest to. Uh, what number am I up to? Number 36. Seven, the rapture concerns only the saved, while the return deals with both saved and unsaved people living on the earth. Number 38, at the rapture, Satan is not bound, while at the return, Satan is bound and cast into the abyss for the duration of the millennial kingdom. Very different. Number 39, no unfulfilled prophecy stands between the church and the rapture. There's nothing that has to take place prophetically between now and the rapture of the church. While many signs must be fulfilled before the return of Christ to earth, namely the seven year tribulation period, the Antichrist, the abomination of desolation, all the trumpets and seals and bowls of judgment in Revelation. Number 40. Number 40. No passage dealing with the resurrection of saints at the return of Christ to earth. No passage dealing with that ever mentioned a translation of living saints at the same time, which is what the rapture does. Dead saints and living saints. That is just not the case when passages are speaking about the return of Christ to earth. And so I guess to summarize all the 40 
reasons why I believe in a pre-trib rapture. I'm going to end with this one. Number 41. The reason I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church occurring before the seven-year tribulation, the return and then the, the literal millennial kingdom, the reason I believe in this pre-tribulational rapture of the church is because that it is in fact exactly what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches a premillennial view from Genesis through Revelation. And the Bible teaches a pre-tribulational rapture view. Again, I believe from Genesis through Revelation, albeit it's implied and inferred in the Old Testament as it's a mystery that's only revealed in the New. This is what the Bible teaches from Genesis through Revelation. And that is why I believe that the church can be raptured at any moment. The blessed hope of the believer. That is what we look for. That is what we hope for. That is what we eagerly wait for as believers. The any moment imminent rapture of the church to go and be with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and his Father in his Father's house in heaven. That's going to happen at any moment. I believe that firmly, wholly, and I believe the Bible teaches it from cover to cover. And I hope and pray these last few months, um, I mean, many will tell me that it doesn't really matter and what's the point. I, I hope and pray that you've, you've really grasped over, over the last few months that it does matter. And it matters because it's in the Word of God. It matters because it's the future hope of the believer. It matters because without that hope, the truth is we'd be going through the wrath of God, which He took upon Himself on the cross, which denies the character of God, which calls God a liar. And so I hope you understand the importance and the relevance and the, the need for that hope that blessed hope of the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for joining our Prophecy Times podcast for another week. Next week, we're hitting pause on looking at the rapture and we are going to step into the book of Revelation. There's been much spoken about on the book of Revelation. Truth is, it's the only book in the Bible that... Uh, that states that the reader or the hearer of the book will be blessed simply for hearing and reading and heeding the words of the book. So I pray that over the next few months you'll be blessed as we open the book of Revelation and we explore it cover to cover, verse by verse, step by step, and, and we journey through what God has to say to the church now and what God has to say for the coming tribulation period, the coming uh, return of Christ and the coming millennial kingdom and all the judgments uh, that go between that period of time. So join with me next week, Wednesday, 5 p.m. Uh, as we open Revelation 1.1 and start that journey together verse by verse. Look forward to seeing you next week at that time. Much love and peace.